Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Does it matter that some people see the glass as half empty and others view it as half full? Yes. Today's guest is Heidi Grant Halverson, and she is a social psychologist, speaker, and best-selling author of her book, Succeed. She's also the co-author of her latest book, Focus, Using Different Ways of Seeing the World to Power, Success, and Influence. Heidi is here to help you understand how people focus and how you can then have that power to motivate yourself and everyone around you. Heidi, hello and welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to broach this because as I was reading your title out loud and it says, you know, use different ways of seeing the world to power success and influence. That may Mm -hmm. scare some people because they may say, look, I don't want to be some mega, mega, you know, (laughs) business person, right? I'm just trying to figure out how to get my child to do something or I'm trying to figure out how to get my husband to do something or I'm trying to, you know, uh, run my business or get through school or teach my students. So that it, that's what your book encompasses all those areas. Right. It's really, you know, and I, I'm so glad you brought this up because really, you know, I, I hear that kind of thing from a lot of people. It's like, well, I'm not that into success. And and, and I, they think what I mean by success is sort of that sort of stereotypical, oh, I want to be, you know, rich and powerful and famous. And what I actually mean is just reaching the goals you set for yourself, whether those are goals that are professional goals or they're personal goals. You know, whether you want to lose that extra 10 pounds or get along better with your spouse or get a promotion at work. Well, it doesn't, you know, to me, I, when I talk about what success is, I simply mean it's very, it's very personal and it's very idiosyncratic. And success just means however you define it. What do you want out of life? And, and what I try to do in my books is give people tools that we know work because we because my background is as a scientific psychologist so we uh, it's really an attempt to kind of take all of this research and distill it down into okay what are the strategies that work what are the things we know help make people more effective in reaching their goals whatever their goals might be and then how can we help people to actually understand these tools and use them so so just like you said, you know, when you said oh, maybe all I want to do is is you know get along better with my husband or get my children to be, that's exactly what it's about. You know, it's about influence is not necessarily even. Again, I mean that very broadly to mean not just at work like having influence and being super powerful, but how do you influence your children to make good decisions? How do you convince your husband that you know doing certain renovations are a good idea? So so it's about how to reach goals and how to be more persuasive or or Dan Pink calls it you know moving people how to mm-hmm. move people in the direction that you want to move them and thank you for clarifying that about success because we talk about that a lot on this show you know what is your mm-hmm. definition not is what is your parents or what is societies or what Absolutely. is your professors right what is your definition and that takes going inside and getting clear about your values and what it is that you, what's important to you isn't that right yeah, you know, there's some really um, very interesting research that shows that that really, um, you know, 
in fact, the kind of typical idea of success uh, is 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 usually a, a kind of success that doesn't actually bring happiness. There's research that shows that that there are sort of some goals that are better for you than others, and and the kinds of goals that tend to lead to what you might think of as authentic happiness, right? Like real well-being, lasting happiness are things like uh, autonomy. So that means, you know, doing things that, like, as you said, reflect your values and who you are, that feel like an authentic expression of you. Um, also, doing things that t- to learn and develop and grow, what we call, like, uh, you know, uh, satisfying your need for competence. So, so kind of developing as a person. That, if you reach those goals, that produces sort of happiness with a capital H. And also relatedness to other people. So, so you know, being connected to other people, building relationships, strengthening relationships, feeling a connection to your community. All of those kinds of goals result in lasting happiness because they fulfill sort of fundamental human needs. But it turns out what we call extrinsic goals, things like pursuing wealth for the sake of wealth um, or, or power or fame and popularity. Those are the kind of goals that even if you reach them, even mm-hmm. if you're very successful, it's like that, that happiness is very fleeting and suddenly you're having to get more money and more fame and more power and, and it never lasts. And that's because those kinds of goals don't actually satisfy our needs as people. So as you're saying, I think you, we really do need to kind of go inside and say, what do I need as a person? And the answer is often not the, the, the stereotypically like success story kind of answer. It's, it's these things that are about, like you said, being authentically who you are. And that really is this this book, Focus, that I've re- written recently, and my other book, Succeed, and I have another book called Nine Things Successful People Do Differently, but that the success in all of those is that kind of, for me, inner success. I want to help people to to be able to reach goals that are about their own development, their own health, their own well-being. Well, and then Heidi, isn't it true then if you go into that inner, it's more sustainable, it's more fulfilling than if you're constantly on this extrinsic you know, looking oh, for yeah. these extrinsic goals, and they're never, they're, they're, it's more like quicksand, isn't it? It is, it is. Um, Daniel Kahneman, who uh, is our only, I think, Nobel Prize winning psychologist, he, he wrote a really interesting book called Thinking Fast and Slow, but he talks about that as being a treadmill that you have, you're constantly on, you know, and, and, and the treadmill has to keep going. So you have to keep then setting new goals all the time. I need a little more money. I need a little more fame. I need a little more popularity. And, uh, and so it's, it's very, very fleeting. Um, and, 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 and it's, it's not just that it doesn't satisfy you, but it actually distracts you from the things that would satisfy you. That's one of the major problems with spending a life pursuing these goals that are really, at the end of the day, all about, you know, kind of what they all have in common, power, um, fame, wealth, is sort of like uh, this common thread is seeking validation from other people, you know, that that, that I have to have these um, status symbols that make me a worthy person. And that kind of thinking really never uh, leads to, no matter how good you are at it, you'll never really be happy because those just aren't the kinds of goals that lead to happiness in the end. Mm. So let's talk about focus because this okay. is about when, when you're saying when we can understand people's focus, where they're coming from, mm-hmm. then we can motivate them or even ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I really, you know, the book is, is really kind of set up to, to help people understand there are these two ways of being motivated and, uh, and to understand 
first and foremost, the, the first half of the book is really about understanding yourself and how, and how your motivation, your dominant motivation, affects everything you do. Um, so, so you can think of it as two types of people, although the truth is everybody does both to some extent. The first kind of motivation we talk about is promotion-focused motivation, and that's when you think about your goal that you, you want to achieve. Let's say you want to get an, you know, as, as a student in college who wants to get an A in chemistry. And that student is saying to themselves, you know, oh, I, I, it would be so awesome if I got an A. It would be so amazing. That would advance my goal of getting into medical school. I'll be, you know, I'll be so proud. My parents will be so proud. You know, they'll probably buy me something. They'll be so excited. I got, you know, I'll get rewards. I'll feel great. So in other words, you're thinking about this goal of getting an A in chemistry as about an opportunity to gain something, right? to advance, to improve, to sort of live up to your ideals. That kind of motivation we call promotion motivation. And it's, it's really, it feels like eagerness, right? It feels like you just can't wait to get started and do it. And, and we find that when people are promotion motivated, right, they're thinking about their goals as a, as means to, as a way to advance or to gain, then there are a lot of uh, things they happen to be very good at. They have certain strengths. So they're more creative, they're more innovative, they are more comfortable taking chances. Uh, they, they tend to work quickly because they're kind of excited, eager to get on to the next thing. They're, they're really good at thinking outside the box, at considering and generating all kinds of solutions to a problem, considering all kinds of possibilities. Um, and they're really great at when you're in, when you have this kind of motivation, you're really great at seizing opportunities, right? At, at saying like, ooh, this is a chance that I could, you know, opportunities knocking and I'm going to definitely open the door. They say yes to things. That's what promotion motivated people do. The other kind of motivation is prevention motivation. Now, you can imagine that same student or a different student in that same class, in that chemistry class, who also wants to get an A. But when this student thinks about it, they're thinking, if I don't get an A, if I, if I am not able to get an A, then I may not get into medical school. If I don't get an A, may, then my parents will be disappointed. Then I'll feel guilty and horrible, and I'll, I'll, be, and I'll feel afraid of, of what might happen to my dream of being a doctor, right? So, again, the goal is the same, right? They still want, this person wants an A in chemistry. But they're thinking about it in terms of what they could lose if they don't succeed, Okay, so that way of thinking we call prevention motivation or prevention focus. Now, when you're prevention focused, I know it doesn't sound like immediately people think, oh, promotion is the good one and prevention is the bad one, but it's really not that simple. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, prevention motivated people are also good at a lot of things. They're just good at different things. So what their strengths tend to be things like um, being thorough and accurate. They're very uh, careful planners. They don't take things for granted. They, they have a plan B and a plan C and a plan D, and, and, and they're ready in, because they're thinking so, so honestly and so, and so realistically about how, what could go wrong, that they become much more likely to be prepared for everything that could go wrong. They're more organized. They are, um, they're more reliable. They're great at keeping things running. 
Like if you have a business, you want to have a prevention-focused person <laughs> who is on your staff because that's the person who makes sure that everything gets done. All the T's get crossed and the I's get dotted. And, and, you know, often we don't appreciate those people because, you know, what they do isn't so flashy. Uh, but, but when you miss them so much when they're gone because you realize, wow, this person was actually making, making the ship run really smoothly. They, they avoid mistakes like the plague. They hate mistakes. And their motivation feels more like vigilance rather than eagerness, right? So it's sort of like I'm always alert. I'm always focused on what might go wrong. So you have two different kinds of motivation with very different sets of strengths. And also, of course, both of them have sets of weaknesses. So again, there's no right or wrong here. They're just different. Prevention weaknesses are things like being maybe a little overly cautious, a little too likely to say no to things that might be have been a good uh, opportunity. They're a little, you know, risk averse. They, they're more conservative. They like to go with the status quo. They, it, you know, the phrase, the devil, you know, is better than the one you don't. That mm-hmm. was definitely coined by a prevention focused person. Um, they work slowly. So, because, you know, accuracy takes time. So they tend to be very slow and deliberate and a little bit more rigid in how they do things. Promotion focused people also have a downside. They tend to be overly optimistic. Uh, a little reckless. They get themselves into hot water all the time. They have they take on too much at once. So they've got their hands in too many pots at, at all at once, and and nothing is ever ready to eat because they they say yes 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 to everything. Um, their work is is more is more likely to have mistakes in it. It's more likely to be flawed. Um, they they're they're pretty poor planners. We, promotion focused people are are uh, what you call best-case scenario planners because they basically just assume that the best-case scenario is what's <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> and and so, so, again, you can see how there's really an upside and a downside to both ways of being. Now, what we find is that even though everybody does both to some extent, and so everybody has, everybody can think of times in their lives when they were focused on, you know, gaining something and focused on not losing something. Um, so we all do both, but it's very common for people to have a dominant motivation. Um, sometimes they have different dominant motivations in different areas of their lives. So they have, let's say you could be somebody who is very promotion focused when it comes to your work. So you're very creative, you're a risk taker, but when you walk through the door at night and you put on the parent hat, um, you become very prevention focused. You're all about safety and security and, and making sure everybody has clean underwear and all the bills are paid. So, you know, it, it, you can have those kinds of differences. But in general, people, you know, and they can very readily identify usually. When I describe these two kinds of motivation, people say, oh, yeah, I'm promotion focused. And, oh, yeah, Bob is prevention focused. And so you, you kind of really, I think, quickly grasp it. So, and, and, the, and as I said, the, the point is really not that one is better than the other, but that they are different and they have different strengths and weaknesses, and that um, the book is really about showing people how to work with their dominant motivation um, to to be as, to accept their weaknesses, to sort of make peace with them. <laughs> and, you know, I think too often we, I, I hear people, and I know I've done this in the past, to we beat ourselves up about not being good at everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we say like, oh, I, well, I'm really creative, but, but why can't I ever remember to pay the bills on time? <laughs> or why are my, you know, why are my accounts a mess? And then 
conversely, you have people who are super organized and diligent, and then they say, but you know, I never try anything new. I never, you know, I feel like I'm too rigid, and I'm missing out on things, and I'm not, you know, advancing the way I should be. Or maybe I'm not, you know, having enough creative moments in my life. So, so you know, it, it's, it, it, it really is, you know, it's important to, I think, understand that there's a reason that that's true, that, that your strengths often dictate your weaknesses because at least at the same time, it's kind of impossible to be good at both. Um, you can kind of shift paths, and that's one of the things we talk about in the book, sort of how to put yourself in a promotion mindset or a prevention mindset in order to be good at different things. But, um, and you can do that. But, but at the very same moment, it's going to be really hard for you to be very creative and very organized and diligent at the same time. And I think that's something that's really important for people to understand about themselves so that they can plan accordingly and so that they can give themselves a break mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit, you know. It sounds like they can under, if they understand what their motivation is, it's easier right. to say, oh, okay, this is the skill set that I have. I don't know if it's a skill set. But this, yeah, I mean, I think you can think of it that way, sure. And, and it can and, be a bit more forgiving instead of beating ourselves up of, you know, we need to be 100% great at everything. Yeah, and, you know, you, you can really think of it as two systems. It is literally two different systems in the brain. We know that there are different different brain regions involved and brain systems involved when people are promotion-focused and when people are prevention-focused. So we, we each possess both systems. But whichever system you're using, that's the one that's dominant at the time. And so that's going to bring forth certain kinds of skills and suppress other ones because they're, because, you know, so it, it is, it's literally something that is happening to everybody. Um, and, and we're all in the same boat on that score. But I do think it's very helpful to have, I personally always have felt like when you have a language to describe something, it's really, really helpful because you can then, you know, even when it comes to interpersonal interactions, I think it's, it's really important. So, for example, you know, my husband, it's very, very common, but this is just an aside because it's funny. <laughs> I give a lot of talks in business and I'll go places and I'll describe promotion and prevention and sort of the implications for how, pe- how managers should try to motivate them. And, I, and so I'm talking to managers and then I end up with a long line of people who want to talk to me after the talk and they all want to talk about their spouse <laughs> because, they, because they realized when they were listening to me like, oh, wait, that's why my wife and I or that's why my husband and I argue all the time because one of us is more promotion focused and one of us is more prevention focused. And so, so you know, and, and it was very, it's very true with me as a, as a, as a, in my in terms of my career, I tend to be more promotion. But as a mom, I'm super prevention focused. I'm one of these people that if I could make my children wear helmets all day long, I, they would be doing <laughs> it. And it's, it's really true. So, but my husband, you know, he, you know, he has, he's very promotion focused. He's all about adventure and opportunities for learning and growing. And so we have the same goals for our children. Like, you know, when, when my son Max was learning to walk, we both wanted him to learn to walk, right? We both had the goal of helping him with that. But when, because I was approaching it from prevention, I was thinking, okay, take out all the sharp objects in the room, put like those rubbery <laughs> pads on all the pointy things, put a gate up to block the stairs, you know, and I'm, you know, looking all over the floor for things that he might trip on or you know, move out of the way. My husband comes home, he takes the gate off the stairs, he puts things on the floor so that Max can learn to maneuver around them. So he, so he's, Again, his goal is the same as mine, but he's thinking, give him opportunities to advance, and I'm thinking, keep him safe. 
And so we would have, you know, in the beginning, I think a lot of, as many couples do, arguments. And, you know, and when you are both coming at it from these two perspectives, it's very easy to just think the other person is being a jerk. You know, that the other person is, you know, just to say like, well, you know, and I would say you're so reckless and you're you're so naive and you're not being very thoughtful and he's saying you're a stick in the mud and you're a party pooper and all you do is you, you're neurotic, all you do. And so you're throwing all of these kind of pejorative terms at one another. And then suddenly when you have the promotion and prevention language and I realized, oh, this is what this difference is between my husband and I. And I explained it to him. Now what we say when these situations arise is, well, you're you're coming at this a little bit more promotion and I'm coming at this a little bit more prevention. And suddenly there's no judgment there, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's it's not you're wrong and I'm right. It's we're each seeing two different sides, which there always are, to a goal, right? What you can gain and what you can avoid losing. And and it's much easier, it turns out, and we now know this from studies in the workplace and in relationships, it's much easier to actually get to a really good common ground when you have a language to talk to each other about how you're seeing things differently. And then you actually come to appreciate what the other person is bringing. So now I actually do, seeing it through the lens of promotion and prevention, I actually appreciate that my husband brings to parenting a sense of adventure and a sense of, you know, broadening the children's horizons. And I think he appreciates more that I'm the one that makes sure that everyone has clean underwear and vaccinations and all of those things that I think about because he realizes those are important too. And and so it, it, it I, I think one of the one of the most wonderful things about understanding these two ways of operating is that it really gives people a, a way to communicate more effectively with each other and to understand where their differences are coming from. Because, you know, you see it on the sales team. You'll see I had a, a group of people that I was working with at a company that um, that, that they, they have you know, a monthly sales quota. And there were some members of the team who thought that what they should be doing was uh, reaching out for new customers, right? It's a very promotion-focused thinking. What we need to do is being new customers, new customers expanding our, our client roster. And you know, some of the other salespeople were saying, no, 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 what we really need to be focused on is strengthening our ties with our existing customers. We need to make sure that they're happy and they're going to continue to order from us, and so that's where our main focus should be. Now, then that's, of course, how prevention-focused people think, right? They think, hang on to what I already have. Mm-hmm. And who's right? Well, they're both right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, those are both good strategies for, you know, meeting your sales goals. Once you realize that there is no right or wrong, but there's just a promotion way and a prevention way, then it becomes much easier to say, oh, wait, okay, you guys do the prevention way, and we'll do the promotion way, and now we'll cover all our bases. And in fact, we know now there was some very cool research that was done by a, a friend of mine, Vanessa Bones, who's at um, University of Waterloo, showing that promotion prevention couples are actually some of the the happiest couples in the long term, even though you would think, oh, don't they fight all the time? Well, there is some disagreement, but what they're really good at is actually covering all their bases. So, so, and over time, once they realize, hey, there's things that you're good at because you're more promotion, and there's things that I'm good at because I'm more prevention, and they split up things accordingly, that ends up for making for a very happy and satisfying relationship. So, I just think it's so useful to understand that these two ways of doing things, and that, and that they're both, they're both great. They both, they both, are, they're both good at really different things, but really important things. When you said that, the picture that came to my mind was, uh, and I'm not a doctor, but um, I have a lot of friends who are, but a surgical team, right? You want people with different skill sets in the room. 
you need the anesthesiologist there. He doesn't need to know how to cut you open or she doesn't need to know how to do that. But regulating the drugs is really, really important in knowing how to deal with if there's a potential crisis, right? And you, right. it's a team of people. And that's the way I'm seeing you talk about this prevention promotion is a team of, it's a team of skill sets, I guess, that it is. you can bring. Yeah. It is, and we actually know, it's interesting you bring, up, bring that up, but we actually know, for example, in sports, that when you look at professional player, players at the professional or semi-pro level, and you measure, there was a study that looked at um, soccer players, and they found that the promotion focus, when they, they, they measured everyone's focus, and they found that the, the offensive players, the strikers, tended to be more promotion focused, and the defensive players tended to be more prevention focused. And that makes sense, right? Because, you know, if you're, if, you're a, if you're an offensive player, you're looking for openings, you're taking risks. So that's the motivational style that suits you. If you're a defensive player, you're trying not to make a mistake, right? Not allow an error. And you're vigilant. And that's the style, the motivational style that suits those paths. So we, we know, another interesting thing is that we know that people with certain motivations tend to go, not always, you know, it's a generalization, but tend to go into... Uh, kinds of occupations that suit them. So in general, prevention-focused people tend to drift toward what are called um, realistic um, and conventional um, jobs, which makes it sound boring. But it's things like it makes it things like lawyer, accountant, um, a contract lawyer, you know, um, a corporate lawyer, accountant, um, uh, engineer. You know, things where precision and 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 paying attention to the potential for error pay off. You know, and it feels it's a good fit. This is one of the ideas we talk about. My co-author Tori Higgins and I talk about a lot in the book is this idea of fit—a good fit between your motivation and the kind of thing you're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, a good fit between your motivation and how you try to motivate yourself, whether or not you're an optimist or more of a pessimist. That fit then is really energizing and makes people uh, makes people more satisfied with the work that they do. They enjoy it more. They're more engaged and they perform better. So when people who are prevention focused end up in jobs where their skill set, diligence and carefulness and planning and avoiding error is a good fit, then they not only naturally do well, but they enjoy what they do. And similarly, promotion focused people like to uh, like to be in jobs where it's more artistic or um, investigative. So um, consultants, m- musicians, artists. Um, writers, copy, copywriters. Um, those are all more promotion-focused jobs, right, where you're generating. And and that provides a good fit. One of the things that I think a lot of us have experienced is, you know, we're going along in our jobs, we, we, we enjoy what we do, and then all of a sudden our job description kind of changes a little bit, mm-hmm. and suddenly it doesn't feel so good anymore. So you get a nice, let's say you have a promotion-focused person who's really good at at, uh, at their job, they're doing, they're working in an ad agency, they're really creative, and someone says, oh, terrific, we're going we're gonna to promote you to management. <laughs> and now, now, as a manager, your job is to make sure that nobody else screws up. Um, and that's a prevention job. And so suddenly, you feel like, hang on, this doesn't feel right anymore, because my strengths are not you know, diligently looking after things. My strengths are creativity and, and taking risks, and I'm not allowed to do that anymore because I'm a manager. So, so you, you, I think most of us have had that experience of like, oh, something sounded good. I mean, a promotion sounds great, uh, and then you, you're, and you, and you just feel like something's wrong, and and that feeling often comes from this experience of motivational non-fit. 
it just doesn't work with who you are. So it sounds like this is a great tool to have for hiring people, knowing knowing who you are. And if, you, if you're bringing in somebody to be on your team or to be support to you or to help you yeah. run your company it or to go and teach people, knowing what kind of focus that they have and what kind of focus you have as you're adding to this team, just like you would a sports team, right? A coach is going to look at, okay, we need to bring Absolutely. defensive players, offensive players. Yeah, I mean, it's a great tool for you to use to figure out what you should be doing and a great tool for other people to figure out where in a, in a company or on a team uh, you fit best. And, and some people have asked me, well, what if, you know, you, you, what if I can't give out the questionnaire? You know, what, how do I tell? If, you, if you've known somebody for a, 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 even a brief period, you probably have a pretty good sense of whether they're more promotion or more prevention focused because they, they, they just they go about their business very differently. So it's, it's not hard to tell. But let's say you're meeting somebody for the first time. How do you know? you know, which one they are. And one of my favorite ways to, to diagnose this is to ask them to talk about a time, one of their biggest regrets, you know, one of their, let's say, professional, biggest biggest professional regrets, because you'll very reliably get different answers. Pro- promotion-focused people who are always, you know, focused on sort of gain and advancing, they regret the chances they didn't take. Right, so that they feel like opportunity knocked, and for whatever reason, I didn't jump at it. Right, that so the, so the, the the you know the ones that got away. That's what promotion focused people regret. Prevention focused people regret mistakes they made. They regret that they they didn't that they that they, sh- they felt they should have seen coming. So something bad happened, and I really should have been vigilant, and I should have known that that was going to happen, and I should have taken steps to prevent it. So, so somewhere in the story, you'll get this is a story about a chance I didn't take or a time that I let a mistake get past me. And that will give you a very good indicator of whether someone is promotion or prevention focused. But again, I mean, you can, you can tell it from, from so many behaviors, you know, and, uh, from whether they work quickly or work slowly, from whether they tend to be rigid or whether they say yes to everything or their first answer is no to everything, <laughs> then it, it gives you a pretty clear case. And of course, you know, one thing, um, I wrote a, uh, something not that long ago, uh, for, uh, for the Atlantic about about how how our ideas about happiness change as we age, and part of that, a big part of that, comes from shifts in focus. So we find, and again, this isn't true for everybody, but just sort of generally speaking, people when they're younger are more promotion focused. Uh, teenagers are the great; they're not all promotion focused, but 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 many of them are. And, you know, they think they're immortal. They have <laughs> <laughs> they they are optimists. They think, you know, their, their whole life, their whole life is ahead of them. So they're thinking almost exclusively in terms of advancing and gaining and where I'm going to, you know, what I would ideally like to be. And that's very promotion kind of thinking. But as we age and we begin to both have more accomplishments that we would like to hang on to, you know, we have relationships that we feel protective of. We you might have a home that you'd like to, you know, continue to have. Um, you have children you want to keep safe. Uh, you have more responsibilities. Um, as we have those things that we want to hang on to more and more, you know, your health, um, you know, your looks, all of these things that we feel might slip away from us and we are more focused on hanging on to them, we become a little bit more prevention focused. And, of course, also when life, you know, the more life knocks you around a little bit, the more you start to become wary of what might go wrong. 
um, because you've lived through it a little bit more. So we do tend to find that as people age, they can become a little bit more prevention focused. And as a result, they go from, you know, when, when, you re- when you're promotion focused and you reach a goal, like a teenager, and you say, well, how does it feel that you reach your goal? What you feel is psyched. Right, you feel you feel you feel excited, right? It's happiness that's sort of, it's the kind of happiness that is high energy, right? That it, that we would call joyful or cheerful or ecstatic or elated. Um, but when people are prevention focused and they reach a goal, right? They they were able to hang on to what they had already had. They were able to stay safe. They don't feel happiness that way. They feel happiness as in relaxation. They feel relief. They feel peaceful. You know, calm. Like oh, whew. You know, that kind of, this way, like when you're a mom, you're, you're a lot less interested in, in, at the end of the day, in doing something exciting. You really actually just want to put your feet up and like have a, and feel relaxed because that's the kind of happiness that goes along with being prevention focused. So you can, you, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, again, it's just as good. It's just different. And, uh, and it's not uncommon for people to like kind of look back and say, oh, I used to get excited a lot more. Well, you used to be more promotion focused probably. <laughs> and now you're more prevention focused and life is a lot more about sort of peaceful and serenity and it kind of enjoying being content in your current circumstances, you know, that becomes, mm-hmm. and which is more of a prevention focused way to think. So is that living in the extraordinary and the ordinary? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, you know. Uh, I think, you know, I think you can have, um, it is a little bit like that, living in the extraordinary and the ordinary. I think that that difference does, does sort of apply to it, um, because it is, but, but ordinary, again, you know, there's always this, I think Americans are, ordinary sounds a little more lame to some people. <laughs> and just like, you know, pre- prevention focus sounds lame. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm constantly, and no matter how many times I say to people, look, they're both equally good, people say, yeah, but not really, right? <laughs> you know? and, and I think the reason for that is very cultural. Um, America, Amer- you have this conversation, by the way, happens with Americans, um, because America itself is a very promotion-focused place. It's, it's, um, if you think about as a society, who do we revere? You know, who, who do people admire? It's the, it's the Steve Jobs. It's, you know, the, the, the innovators, the risk takers, the astronaut, you know, the, the person, the, the, you know, the pioneer. I mean, we are the, the, the land of the pioneer. And, and pioneering is a very promotion focused kind of thing to do. You know, it, it's all about gain and advancing and taking big risks. And, and so as a society, we really hold up, you know, promotion-focused success as the best kind. And we tend to not really get overly excited when people are really good at being efficient and, and, and careful and cautious and responsible. Now, there are other cultures where that's not true. In East Asia, the, the, in, say, China, Korea, Japan, also in um, Germany, and to some extent in South America, too, where, where societies are a little bit more collective. It's a little bit more about not only reaching your own goals, but, you know, doing your duty by your family and your, your community and your group, that, that actually prevention-focused thinking is actually what's revered, right? That people are, are diligent and, and fulfilling their responsibilities and that and honor is, you know, a very important thing. And so in those cultures, it's actually that's the kind of, 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 of uh, person who actually is revered 
um, uh, you know, Confucius is a very prevention-focused kind of guy. So, so I think it really is cultural. And so I, I, I do, like I said, I run into that all the time with them in America where people say, okay, I get how prevention focus is good, but it's definitely not as fun. Well, of course it's not as fun. Fun is promotion-focused. <laughs> that, that fun is inherently kind of a promotion-focused thing, but, but it's just as good. You know what I mean? And there is, it's just that it's different. And I I say that because I think there are a lot of prevention-focused people out there. Women tend to be more prevention-focused than men. And, uh, and, and as they, and as we get older, we all tend to be. And I want all of those people who see in themselves a lot of prevention to understand that, uh, that really, that, 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 that way of being is really very good and very natural and very understandable when you are at a point in your life where, where you are just happen to be less interested in, in advancing and more interested in kind of really appreciating what you have in the here and now and hanging on to it. Mm-hmm. And also I would like to point out that people, millions of people, billions of people meditate in this, in this world and not one of them does it to get psyched. <laughs> they're, all, they're all doing it to get serenity and peacefulness and that is the prevention kind of happiness. So obviously it's a very good thing. Uh, it, it's a little less exciting, but it, it's really just as good and just as satisfying. And so, so really, again, both ways of being are wonderful ways of being that have incredible strengths. And if we can kind of accept that and, and then try to, to make peace with it and to, and to then do, make choices that are good for us, knowing that about ourselves, you know, knowing what fits with you. Um, you know, if you're a, a promotion-focused person, it's really good for you to be an optimist. That's very motivating for you. If you're a prevention-focused person, optimism is not motivating for you. Prevention-focused people hate it when people say, oh, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> that, just sounds, that just sounds terrible, you know? They, they say, like, no, 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 no. That's reckless and naive, and if I bought into that, then I would fail. So they're what we call... Um, defensive pessimists. They're not pessimists. They don't believe they're going to fail, but they believe they might fail if they don't take all the steps they need to take in order to to succeed. And so they're very uncomfortable with, you know, and, and this is important for managers and parents and, and spouses. You know, if you're, if you're working with or dealing with a prevention-focused person and, you know, they're feeling kind of they look anxious and they're worried about how well they're going to do. Don't tell them everything's going to be great. You're going to do fine. They don't want to hear that. They don't believe it. It sounds, it sounds phony to them. It's much better to say, okay, let's talk about, you know, how you've prepared so far and what might go wrong and what you can do. You know, if whatever you're worried about, let's talk about how, what you can do to feel more prepared for that. That's the kind of thinking that works for a prevention-focused person, and that's really the kind of help that they need. Um, in order to be more successful. So when you're motivating other people, you want to know kind of what kind of focus that they have so that Mm -hmm. you can frame it to them. That's going to create them to be, um, I guess, more more successful to get that result. Absolutely. You know, you want to, and it, 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 that's one part of it, the, the optimism and, and versus being not overly optimistic. But there's even like lots of subtle changes in language that we find in our research make a big difference. So, for example, if you're trying to get a promotion-focused person to buy something, you're much better off saying, oh, you know, you should, um, you should buy this toothpaste because it'll give you a wonderful, bright, shiny smile. 
But if you're working toward a, if your audience is prevention focused, then you could say, well, if you don't buy this toothpaste, then you're gonna you're 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 gonna not have a bright and shiny smile. And just that simple shift in wording actually makes a huge impact on their likelihood of buying the toothpaste. We did one study where we were we had people um, offered people a mug. And it was like it was Columbia undergraduates, and we offered them a Columbia mug, and and it was the same mug everybody saw. It's a nice mug, and uh, and we we gave them five dollars, and we said, okay, how much of your of that five dollars would you be willing to spend on this mug? But we asked the question in two different ways. We either said, think about everything you would gain by buying this mug, or we said, think about everything you would lose if you didn't buy this mug. Okay, when the way that they were told to think about it matched their that student's dominant motivation. Right, so think about gain what you would gain for promotion people, and think about what you would lose for prevention people. They paid seventy percent more for the same mug. Out of the, like they offered to pay seventy percent wow. more for the same mug. So it and the reason is that when you talk to someone in their own motivational language, it it feels right. Mm-hmm. It feels persuasive. By the way, feeling right is not the same thing as feeling good. Feeling good, you know, everybody would feel, prevention focus doesn't always feel good, right? (laughs) You're vigilant. And so it's not always easier, but it it does feel right. It feels right when you're prevention focused to think about what might go wrong. It doesn't feel good, but it feels right. It feels like the right thing to do. And so when you talk to people in their own motivational language, which in the second half of the book we go into a lot of detail about sort of what that means and all the different ways you can phrase things in order to kind of speak someone's motivational language. But when you you just turn the phrasing a little bit, um, then, then it connects with them. And they feel right about what you just said. And therefore they value it more. They're more persuaded by it. And they're more likely to pay for it. By the way, they're not only more likely to pay for it, but when you call them a month later, as we do in some of these studies, and say, how much do you like your mug? They like it more <laughs> still. So it's, like, so it's actually creating real value. It's not just that you're tricking them into paying more money, but they actually think it's a better mug mm-hmm. because of the way you talk to them about it. And so you know, this has real-world implications for things like, how we try to get wait, wait, wait. school children to, to not... Oh, go ahead. I have. I just had an epiphany. It, yes. So is this like, um, you know, when when you meet a foreigner and there's that language barrier and it's hard to communicate because there's that mm-hmm. language barrier and so there's resistance and it's just it doesn't really seem to click. Is that what you're talking about when you talk to somebody in their in their motivational style, it's almost like talking to them in the language that they understand. So there's almost that Absolutely. level of comfort. Okay. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. There is a, there's a, it is actually fluency is one of the things that we measure. And people will say that when they were spoken to using promotion focused language or prevention focused language that matched their own focus, that they will say it was more fluent. They'll actually say, I understood the message better. You know, when they're asked to read a paragraph or something, they'll say, oh, no, I, it, so, so you're really, I mean, that's actually a great metaphor because it is actually that feeling of fluency that is part of, like, it just is connecting with the brain regions that are active for you. Um, so you're really penetrating um, much more deeply. And, and this has implications for things like how we talk to kids about how we motivate children. You know, that a lot of times when we try to get kids to not do something because it's dangerous, we speak in prevention language 
And but the kids are promotion focused by and large. You know, they so so there's a disconnect. They don't they don't want to know about all the bad things that could happen because they don't believe they'll happen. They're optimists, right? So you have to try to find ways to spin the same message as saying, here's something you'll miss out on if you don't do X. Oh, missing out. That's not a good thing, right? Suddenly you have their attention. And one of my favorite examples of this is when you go into, and we have studies that look at this, and it really works really, really well. Many people have had the experience of trying to bring an idea to their boss for something new and exciting and innovative, and the boss says no, because managers, as I said, tend to be more prevention-focused because they have more responsibilities. And so they're not interested in taking risks often, okay? So the question is, all right, well, why is that not persuasive to them? You come in, you've got this great idea, you have all this evidence for it, you come in, here's the problem. What you invariably do, which is what we all do, is we pitch it in a promotion-focused way. We pitch it in the way that we're thinking about it which is, wow, this is such a great innovation. If we do this, yes, it involves some risk, but look at all the benefits, look at all the gains, look at all the ways we could advance. And the, 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 your boss is not listening. I hear, I heard risk. Now I'm not <laughs> listening anymore. Okay, here's a much better way. Make the same pitch, but now make it in their language. You go into your boss and you say, here's an idea, and I'm worried that if we don't do it, that we could end up losing market share that we could end up being behind our competitors because they're going to do this first. And it would be a mistake not to do this. Oh, wait, a mistake not to do it? Hang on. I don't like mistakes. That's what a prevention focused person says, right? So suddenly you've, you've turned an, a way to advance into a way to not screw up. And now they're listening, right? And so and you're, it's the same pitch, but it's just said in that other person's language. And it turns out this is an incredibly simple and, and powerful way, if it's your boss, if it's your spouse, if it's your teenager, to try to get the same exact message across, but in a way that's going to appeal to them. And so it's really kind of thinking, all right, what, how can I just tweak it a little bit so that it's about gain or it's about not making a mistake, and then you're in, you're in business right there. So Heidi, I love this because another thought that just came to my mind is that you, when you're trying to motivate others, are mm-hmm. forced to one, listen to the person oh, and true. actually get to know them and see them. So you, you're you really in, you know, in this world where, you know, people can't cross the street without looking down at their phone, right? And we're so disconnected. This is also going to set you up in a situation where you really get to know the person and that they matter to you because then you're trying to figure out, okay, what is the language I need to speak to you? I, lo- I love that. It's, just, it's such a good point that while you're trying to diagnose their focus, you're going to be also, it's very win-win. You're going to mm-hmm. also be picking up on all kinds. And plus, they're going to appreciate that. People so appreciate feeling that they have a voice and feeling that they're being acknowledged. You know, there's, there's, there's so much really amazing research looking at that, this, the, the, that even, even in, like, for example, in court cases where people lose, they feel, they'll still say that they thought it was fair if they felt that they had a voice, mm-hmm. even, even though necessarily it didn't go in their favor, right? So it's very powerful for human beings to feel that they are understood and heard, even if you don't agree with them. And so, yeah, anything you can do. So in that, in that moment where you're trying to diagnose their focus, you're going to also be, be, have benefit in lots of other ways. And, 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 of course, it is always wonderful to listen to people because that's where you're going to find out 
more about that. I mean, we always benefit when we try to find out as much as possible about the person we're talking to, whether it's someone we're already close to or, or a stranger um, in countless ways. And this and, and understanding their focus is really just one of them. Yeah, I mean, we, it provides us an opportunity to learn about somebody and connect with them versus, oh, well, we don't really understand them and I'm just going to sit here and be really defensive, which, you know, right. I, can, I can very easily do. I know that's a pattern of mine. But once I get to know people's stories, I get really, really connected. And um, so I always have to remind myself, take down your armor, <laughs> listen. <laughs> you know, it is too. One of the most fun things about now that, that in my career, I've, I'm not full-time doing research. Now I'm doing a lot of, of this, of going places and talking to people. And it's really been wonderful because I also love that to be able to go to a, go to a group of people that, you know, I've never had any interaction with. You know, I, I never had a lot of interaction with salespeople. I never had a... I've, I've spoken for uh, groups of people that, you know, design lingerie, and uh, that's a fun <laughs> crowd, you know, and, but it's like, but I'm always interested in, so what are your, what are your issues, what are your problems, what are you struggling with, and what, and, and, and there's unique things, but there's also commonalities that are always mm-hmm. really interesting to me, so I've been having a lot more, you know, when you're a professor, you tend to have a lot of one-way conversation, you're talking, other people are listening, and then they go to the next class. You hope mm-hmm. they're listening. <laughs> they're, only some of them are listening, oh. and then they go into the next class. And now I am actually getting uh, to have a lot more, a lot more two-way conversations, which are a lot more fun for me. Yeah, you get a lot of information, and you can learn from it and yeah. see the patterns, right? Mm-hmm. That that prevail. Um, so, what about motivating oneself? Because you know, in this perpetual, you know, we're always trying to get better. We, you know, there's always this next product to make ourselves better, or there's this fitness thing, or you know. How do we motivate ourselves? Well, you know, there's, there's, I think, a lot of um, strategies you can use to, to kind of tackle that problem. I think in terms of your focus, again, one of the things to know is really what works best for you. Um, so a lot of times people are out there kind of giving advice, and it's all very well meant, um, and, and, and it's not necessarily a good fit for you. So some people will say, oh, you know, the way you should um, try to lose weight is to reward yourself, say, for, for every five pounds you lose Ugh. or something like that. Well, that's a great method for someone who's promotion-focused, but it's terrible if you're prevention-focused because rewards don't, aren't really as effective as actually potential punishments. <laughs> prevention-focused people are much better when they threaten themselves. <laughs> when they say, okay, <laughs> if, I don't, if I don't lose five pounds in the next month, then I'm going to deny myself X. Um, and that's actually much more motivating for you. So part of the message of focus is really that, that there, there are some one-size-fits-all principles when it comes to motivation, but there are also a lot of not one-size-fits-all, and you have to kind of tweak it so that you are working um, to, in a way that makes sense for you. But I will say there are a couple general things you can do. Um, one thing is be specific. One of the, and I know this sounds like it's a simple thing, but you, it's remarkable how not specific we are, and it, it, it has, a, and it has to do a lot to do with again, our, our brains just tend to not do this. We tend to think kind of big picture about our goals. So we'll say, well, I want to lose weight, or I want to get ahead, I want to be successful, I want to be healthier, and we think of our goals in that way. And the problem is that. Um, that's not a very useful way to think about your goals because uh, you're a lot of what we do when we're when we're reaching a goal is happening non-consciously, and so your brain is really kind of working on the goals for you. And the more specific you can be, the better your brain is at figuring out exactly what you want to do. So don't say I want to I want to eat healthier. You know, eat, well, what does that mean? 
right? So what are you going to be eating? What are you not going to be eating and how much? You know, don't say I want to exercise more. How often, how many times per week are you going to exercise and where and when are you going to do it? The more you break a goal down into not only exactly what you want to achieve, but also what you're going to need to do and when and where you do it, that prep for achieving a goal is priceless. You are on average about three 300 times or, or no I'm sorry three times or 300 percent more likely to reach a goal if you if you break down your goal into what you're going to do and when and where you're going to do it um, it's not something we tend to do naturally but when we do it it's just amazing I'll give you a quick story there was a great one um, where a group of, of people who were not exercising regularly were um, wanted to wanted to become regular exercisers they joined a gym they were given a gym membership and they were given a, a session free session with a trainer and half of them were um, asked to plan when they were going to exercise each week and so they could say whatever they wanted to. And so, well, I'll go Monday, Wednesday, Friday at nine, or I'll go, I'll go Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, or whatever they wanted to say. And uh, and they didn't even write it down or anything. They just said, well, when are you going to go? And they sat, thought about it for a second, and they made a plan. They come back two months later. Thirty-two percent of the people who didn't make a plan are still exercising. Ninety-one percent of the people who made a plan are still exercising. So, so that is how powerful it is to just take a minute in advance to think about when and where you're going to do what. And for me, I can tell you, I lost, um, after my son was born, uh, I had been on bed rest. I gained about 50 pounds during my pregnancy. It took me about a year and a half to lose it, but I did it with this kind of thinking. And I did it with by thinking about okay, what what am I going to eat, and how much of how much of it am I going to eat, and when uh, when I am tempted by something, what am I going to do instead? So I made a plan in advance. What am I going to do when the dessert menu comes? What am I going to do when I'm out at a restaurant? And if you make those decisions in advance, when you're not facing the temptation head on, then you're actually much more likely to make the right choices. And that's actually something I talk a lot about in Succeed um, rather than in Focus. Succeed is really a book that is about, like, how do I motivate myself and how do I reach my goals? And Focus is really a book about, okay, now let's acknowledge that not everybody is exactly the same. And so what are some of the important differences that we need to understand depending on if you're promotion or prevention? Okay. Well, so Heidi, we need to go into takeaways, but before you give takeaways for my listeners to get the results that they want, my takeaway from this interview is, especially for my listeners who struggle so much within their marriage where they're like, oh, my husband's just promotion-based, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. you know, he's the, he's the Disneyland dad and I'm the preventive mom and I'm always like packing up or always worried about stuff. What the thing that came to me when you were talking just even about you and your husband is that it's it's not about when I wrote it down, it's not about a burden of partnership like, oh, I'm the one that does all the details. It's about that team again. It's like, how can, you know, if both of you are into the details, then that can create problems just as much as both of you are like, oh, we'll just figure it out and it'll just happen. Absolutely. And, you know, we'll leave all our clothing and hotels and airplanes and all of that and you wind up mm -hmm. your destination without anything. But it's having that team, just like we talked about a surgical staff or a sports team or even running a business. So if my listeners, I invite them to let go of that thinking of, oh, my husband just has it so great. And he, it's a burden because this is my skill set. Understanding your focus and realizing that you're a team and you have different strengths 
And at the same time, if he says, well, you're neurotic, but how are you helping the family? How are those skill sets helping your family or your partnership? So that's my takeaway. But for you to have a couple takeaways for the listeners. Oh, sure. I, you know, I think that's a great one. And actually, it was one of the ones I was thinking about talking about, too. But I would say my main takeaways are the first and foremost is that, that understanding your focus helps you to really deeply understand yourself in a way and, and to have you make sense to you in a way that maybe you haven't before. You understand why you tick the way you do, why you're good at some things and not at others, and why that's okay. Uh, and, and so that's really one thing that I hope people walk away from, from this discussion and, and if they read the book and hope they walk away from is a really deeper understanding of who they are and how they tick and what makes them happy, feel happy and successful and feel engaged and good. And then the other big takeaway I think for me is this idea of how to talk to other people and how to communicate more effectively and how to connect with other people by understanding that we are not all motivated in the same way and that we can respect the way another person is motivated and as a sign of that respect, talk to them in their language and also be more influential and more persuasive. You know, if you if you want to get a, your argument across to someone, it's important to not all Always just think about yourself and how it sounds good to you. But think about what would be compelling to them. And I think that understanding focus gives you a way to understand what would be compelling to that other person and for you to be much more effective in influencing them or helping them to, to live happier and more successful lives. Heidi, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. <laughs> that was Heidi Grant Halverson, the co-author of her latest book, Focus using different ways of seeing the world to power, success, and influence. And remember, success is reaching goals for yourself. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you, so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.